your Bibles and turn to John 15. John chapter 15. John 15. You know, this seems hard to believe, but according to Dennis Fisher writing in the Daily Bread, someone in Japan paid more than $6,000 for a Dinsuki watermelon weighing 18 pounds. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. They're only grown uh, on the island of Hokkaido, so the fruit is very rare. But because it's very delicious, there are some consumers who are willing to pay that kind of price for a watermelon. Well, rare and delicious or not, I don't think any of us would purchase this fruit. (laughs) And yet, as believers in Christ, we have fruit that's far more precious because it's produced from the eternal life in us. Amen? Yeah, it's far more precious. It comes from God. And this is captured in the text that we have been looking at now in our second week, John 15, the first 11 verses. So follow along as I read Jesus continuing here, speaking to his disciples. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And may God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of scripture. As you can see here, Jesus used the vineyard of the agricultural community to teach the disciples a very important lesson. This likely happened as they were walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane that evening and observing the vineyards on the hills outside of Jerusalem or even possibly the vines on the walls of the city. What the Master wanted to convey through this object lesson was just as a branch abides in the vine for life and fruit, so then... His followers abide in Him for life and fruit. This is the main message of this passage of Scripture. The word abide appears ten times in the verses we just read. It means to remain, uh, to continue, to dwell in. 
I think I mentioned last week that it carries what I believe to be the idea of fellowship. The very terminology the Apostle John used in his first epistle. In fact, holding your space here, go with me to 1 John 1. 1 John chapter 1. I want you to see this. 1 John 1. Beginning with verse 1. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. We have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Speaking here all of Jesus Christ. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now look with me at verse 6 of chapter 2. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. And so the imagery Jesus used here was to help the disciples better understand their relationship to God and to encourage them to draw closer to him. I also believe, as I said last week, in this chapter there's no doubt that Jesus has Judas on his mind, just as the rest of the disciples had him on their mind. He's not with them at this present time. And so he has to explain some things to them to help them understand what was going on with Judas and why he did what he did. But as I asked you before, are you abiding in Christ? That's a good question for your hearts. Are you abiding in Christ? If you are true disciples, you should be, right? Yes, absolutely. Do you want to go deeper in your love for Christ? Do you want to grow closer to Him? Well, abide in Christ. And to help you in this way, we've been considering three principles regarding it. We looked at two last week. The first one we looked at was there in verse 1. And that is simply this. Jesus was calling on the disciples to recognize the source of the abiding life. He says there in verse 1, he starts out with this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or husbandman. Look with me at verses 4 and 5 where you see all these personal pronouns used by Jesus. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Clearly, in this passage, 
Jesus is that source of the abiding life. As he says there, without me, you can do nothing. I, it's, it's, it's not even, it, you can't make it more clear. <laughs> and though Israel in the Old Testament was portrayed as God's vine, the master is telling his disciples at present that he is the true vine. Because he's God who has life. He has eternal life. And the Father who is one with him in this whole process is the vine dresser who oversees the the care of the branches so that there is a harvest that is produced. He'll do whatever is necessary for that. And so my question for you this morning is, is the same as what it was last week. Do you recognize in your hearts that Jesus is the source of the abiding life? You notice I said your hearts. We know it here. We can say that theologically. Yes, Jesus is our source. But do you know it in your hearts? Have you been connected to Christ by faith? Are you continuing in Christ by faith. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 8, a few chapters before this, verses 30 and following, he says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Do you recognize the source of the abiding life in your hearts. We then considered another principle last week, observed there in verses 2 to 6, and also in verse 8. We won't go and read through that, but it's simply this. Bear the fruit of the abiding life. Bear the fruit of the abiding life. This is emphasized six times in those verses. Six. Three of them alone in verse Two, clearly God's goal for every believer is fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Yeah, there's a progression. (laughs) Christians bear fruit. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's emphasizing. The obvious question then to ask of ourselves is what is the fruit? Because Jesus doesn't specifically identify it right here. He doesn't get into the particulars until a little bit later. Well, Jesus here is talking about evidences of life. Just as a branch reveals life through its grapes, so a true believer reveals eternal life, life through godly virtues. And we were talking about that a little bit last week. I identified some of those things. So I would encourage you to go back to last week's message, if you were not here, just to listen to that portion of the message. Understand this. It's not just these outward manifestations of morality, important as they are, because we're called to live that kind of life in the Word of God. But more importantly, it pours out from within us. So what we are on the inside comes out in our behavior. Also, since there is to be a progression, I asked last week, how does this fruit increase? If we're to bear more and much fruit, how does that happen? 
Well, he tells us there at the end of verse 2 and verse 3, speaking about the Father, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And so what we see here is the Father prunes (laughs) the branches. That is, trims away anything that's going to hinder fruit, that harvest. And spiritually, this happens in our lives through the Word of God. He even says that to His disciples here. You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. He's speaking there particularly about the Gospel. They were saved. They were believers because of the Gospel message that came to them. But it doesn't just stop there. Once you're saved through the Word, you continue in the Word. And that's why Jesus prays later in chapter 17 to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. But there's another way that we see God pruning us. And it's through trials and chastening. (laughs) All you have to do is read Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Yes, God brings difficult times into our life. To discipline us because he loves us and he wants to see that fruit abound in our lives. It's a good thing. So that's stress there in Hebrews. And finally, before moving away from this principle, I asked this other important question last week. What about those branches which don't bear fruit? That's an important question which is addressed here in this passage. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Stops right there. But then you go to verse 6, and he goes into more detail about it. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Yes, right here, I believe Jesus had Judas in mind. As one who appeared to be in the vine... But was not. He bore no real fruit and therefore faced judgment as this text points out. And the same is true of those today who may be a part of the church. You might be attached to the church. And there's visible morality. And yet there really isn't the true godly virtues that God is looking at from within And sometimes these people think everything is okay, and yet they're rejecting Christ in their very lives, and they continue on. Well, if that's the case, then you too will face judgment just like Judas. This is sobering. It really is. So examine your hearts for fruit this morning. As 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. So once again, listen to last week's message if you weren't here. And even if you were, listen to it again (laughs) as a reminder. Because the first half of this message is very, very important as we transition today into the second half of the message. And that brings us to one other principle captured there. In verses 7 to 11, follow along as I read. He goes on to say to his disciples, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish 
and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So what do you notice from those verses? What is another important principle? It is this. Be encouraged by the blessings of the abiding life. Be encouraged by the blessings of the abiding life. And there are a number of them he identifies in these verses I just read. You see the first one there in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Those who abide in Christ have the promise of what? (laughs) What's the blessing? Answer prayer. Right. Answer prayer. It's very clear. You know, Jesus had talked about this earlier. Okay. If you go back to chapter 14. Verses 13 and 14, he, he, he said earlier to the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You go to chapter 15 and verse 16. He comes back to it again. And then also in chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, where it says, in that day, You will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Do you think he was trying to get something across to the disciples? I mean, four times in a couple of chapters, he's making this promise to them about answered prayer. He wants them to know this. He wanted them to understand it. And in both of those places that I just read, he emphasized the importance of praying in his name to see answers to prayer. In other words, they and us by extension are to be guarded and guided by the character, the purposes and will of God. That is praying in Christ's name. Well, this coincides with what the master said there in verse 7, right? About his words abiding in you. Delighting in and following him. His precepts will lead to praying in his name according to his will. You know the apostle John spoke to this matter in his first epistle as well. Listen to these words from chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of him. Isn't that an encouragement? Yeah, it sure is. I want to remind you what Swindoll happened to share from E. Stanley Jones. I've read this before. But it's worth reading again. Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will and character of God and cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch 
hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. Yeah, it sure is. And so when Jesus here is speaking about praying in my name and having God's word abide in us, they're one and the same thing. And so as you delight in and abide in Jesus and his word, you won't ask amiss. Ask with wrong motives, as James 4, 3 tells us. As you delight in God, His desires become your desires, don't they? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You put your heart and your mind and your soul into the Word of God. You find out about Him. You find out about His will. You're delighting in Him. And so His desires become your desires, and that's how you pray. (laughs) According to His will. In His name. They're one and the same thing. Those who abide in Christ have the promise of answer prayer. What a blessing. What a blessing that should be embraced by us as believers. Now look with me at verse 8 where quickly we see the next couple of blessings. The beginning of verse 8. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. We'll stop right there. Those who abide in Christ and thus bear fruit. What? Bring glory to God. That's a blessing. Those who abide in Christ and bear much fruit bring glory to God. This is because fruit is a manifestation of God, eternal life in you. Only He can produce such fruit, right? Yeah. Without me, you can do nothing. And therefore, He is exalted through your lives. Amen? Right. As that fruit is manifested, (laughs) who gets the glory? You or God? God does. Without me, you can do nothing. And so, beloved, isn't this your goal? Isn't this your purpose in life? To bring glory to God? Absolutely. As Christians, you bet it is. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I kind of like how Paul puts it in Philippians 1 and verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. Yeah, that's bringing honor and glory to Him. And besides this, God will also use your abiding life in Christ with its fruit to lead others (laughs) to glorify Him. Matthew 5.16 So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works, your fruit, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Listen to these words from Peter. In 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so in the things in which they slandered you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, the fruit, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Yeah. So we're leading others to glorify God through that fruit that's manifested in our lives. This past week, I was just visiting with somebody 
about our sanctification. And one of the things they brought up, they just said, you know, why doesn't God just save us and then just take us to heaven? <laughs> we don't have to deal with all the battles and the baggage, you know, until we get there. And I reminded them that at this present time, they are an instrument in the hand of God to bring the gospel to those who are lost. You see, the reason Christ has not come back is because there's still more to be saved, those whom he has determined before the foundation of the world. And we are the instruments that bring that message, not just in our words, but in our lives. In fact, the the message is even more believable when it's seen come out of our lives. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you have embraced the gospel, that power has changed you. There's fruit. And as it's manifested, others see it and are drawn to the Savior. Praise the Lord. So what an inspiration, a motivation to be faithful to Him. Amen? Right. Well, this is followed by another blessing. There at the end of verse 8. And I'm going to read the whole verse. He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And here it is. And so prove to be my disciples. Those who abide in Christ and bear much fruit have assurance of salvation. You have assurance of salvation. The word prove here literally means to become. So you could read that verse there. And so become my disciples. Now you scratch your head for a moment and say, well, he's speaking to the disciples. Aren't they true disciples? They are. There's no doubt about it. But what he's talking about here is that as that fruit abounds in their lives, they prove themselves to be the disciples. They give evidence of the fact that they belong to Jesus. Earlier in this chapter, there's no doubt, Jesus said to them, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Yes, they were true disciples. If you go back to chapter 13, as Peter was talking with with, uh, Jesus, Jesus said to him about washing his feet, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So the other 11 were truly clean. They were believers. And so therefore, fruit should be manifested in their lives and show that they indeed belong to him. So God's people know that they are saved by first believing in Christ and then behaving like Christ. I think it was last week I mentioned Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are saved by grace through faith. Amen. By believing. But he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, but the faith that saves works. It bears fruit. 
It does. And so we must remember that. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. I said in the first service, I like... Uh, I'm in John because I can go to 1 John. Uh, some of the things that are said in John are repeated again in 1 John. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it over and over again so you get the, get the message. Well, in 1 John 5 and verse 13, we have these words as he's closing the epistle. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's assuming they have believed so that you may know that you have eternal life. How were they to know? It's by the things that he wrote throughout this epistle. You go back to chapter 1. He's talking about having fellowship with Jesus. He's talking about walking in the light. He's talking about confessing sin. You get into chapter 2 and he's talking about walking as Christ walked. He's talking about loving one another and not loving the world in chapter 2. He's talking about receiving the Holy Spirit and looking forward to the coming of Christ. And then as you get into chapter 3, verse 9, he says, No one who is born of God practices sin because the seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. He goes on to talk about loving the brethren in the rest of chapter 3. You get into chapter 4, and he talks about having discernment because you have the Spirit of God abiding in you. You can discern truth and that which is false. And then he comes back to the matter of love once again. And then as you come to chapter 5, he just kind of brings it all together in a summary form. And he says in verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You want to know? (laughs) Then bear fruit. The very fruit that is manifested all the way through 1 John. And so that we know we are saved because we believe in Christ and then we behave like Christ. Beloved, there is no greater blessing than to know you are God's child. There isn't. Being assured of your salvation. And so may God help you to be fruitful, abiding in Him. Because that is where such confidence exists. It does. So three of the blessings. Answer prayer, bringing glory to God, and assurance of salvation. Boy, we could stop right there. That's enough. But he's not done yet. Okay, so let's go on and see what he has to say in 15, 9, and 10. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Those who abide in Christ know what? What does it say there? His love. Yes. Those who abide in Christ know His love. And by the way, that is a rich blessing. (laughs) Think about it. This is remarkable. Jesus says here, Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Wow. You just have to stop for a moment to meditate upon that statement alone. Look at chapter 13 and verse 1 where we began this whole series of messages. There's a commentary by John here. 
John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Yeah, he's stating it right there. Now he's coming back to it here in John 15. This is an eternal, infinitely deep and passionate love for his disciples. That's what he's conveying to them. It began in eternity past when he chose them. (laughs) Chose them for his very own. And then in the providence of time brought them to a saving relationship with him. Now he's going to the cross to die for them and to complete the work the Father sent him to do. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. We were singing this morning. All the songs that we sung this morning, I don't know if you caught it, were all about Christ's love for us. We sometimes sing it at the top of our minds, but are we singing it with our hearts and just enjoying that love That love of Jesus. And so it's no wonder that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit those glorious words in Romans 8, right? Yeah, I know I've pointed that passage I don't know how many times. But you cannot get tired of reading that. So let's go there again. Romans 8. Romans 8. Holding your space in John 15. Romans 8. You've heard me say this before. If I was stranded on an island and I had one page of Scripture... Or I could have one page of scripture. It would be Romans 8. There's no question in my mind. (laughs) But starting with verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew. In other words, he set his love upon them. He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. From beginning to end, salvation is a work of God. And as you read those, you're just taken in by that. And so he says this in verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? You bet. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? (laughs) And then he says in verses 38 and 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My, oh my. What a blessing. Again, as you read that portion of Scripture, you just have to stop for a moment and meditate upon it. And this is what constrains us who know this love to abide in His love by obeying Him, living for Him, pleasing Him. That's what Jesus said there in John 15 and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. As you recognize that love for you, that constrains you 
to love Him back through a life that is pleasing to Him. Once again, this is captured by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Listen to this. For the love of Christ constrains us or controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Amen. That's the result. You know, a while back, I read this clip from J.I. Packer in Knowing God, which I think is fitting to share with you again. Listen to these words. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that He knows me. I am graven on the palms of His hand. Didn't we sing that this morning? You bet. I am never out of His mind. All of my knowledge of Him depends on His sustained initiative in knowing me. I know Him because He first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when His eye is off me or His attention distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when His care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in loving and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that His love is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion Him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench His determination to bless me. Amen. We love because He first loved us. And so, beloved, I want you to walk out of here today relishing, and I mean relishing, (laughs) in the rich blessing of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. You and I don't deserve it, do we? No. In fact, we deserve what? Condemnation. And yet He's given us life. May this compel you to abide in His love. Well, finally, Jesus mentioned one other blessing as we see there in verse 11. Notice what Jesus says. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. It's pretty clear. Those who abide in Christ experience his joy, right? Experience his joy. And really, this joy is a result of all the other blessings to you. It is. That's why he says here in this passage, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. It's the result of all the other blessings. In fact, if you go to John 17, in verse 13, Jesus, in praying to the Father, says this, but now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. It's the result of all the other blessings. That's where the joy comes from. And so think about it. If you're not abiding in Christ as you should, knowing the richness of His love, 
there is going to be a weakness in your prayer life. There sure will be. There will be an unfaithfulness in your Christian walk. There'll be a lack of security in your salvation and God will not be glorified. Those things are true if you are abiding in Him. But if you're not, then those blessings are not as consistent in your life as God wants them to be. So how then can there be joy, that inner pleasure, that delight and contentment in God? There can't be. I mean, consider what David prayed after his sin with Bathsheba. Do you remember? Here's a man who knew the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. But what did he say there in Psalm 51 and verse 12? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. As long as there was unrepentant sin there, that joy was not. But because he repented, he could pray that in God's will. That that joy would be restored. And the same is true for you and I. In fact, look with me at John 16 and verse 24. This is sort of a rebuke. I read this earlier. He says to the disciples, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Yeah. Answer prayer brings fullness of joy. But when you're not abiding in him, mm, answers to prayer. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Yeah. The beloved God's desire for you, as it was for his disciples, is to know the fullness of his joy. That is his will. That's what he says there in the second half of verse 11. And I can't help but believe that's the blessing which you truly want to regularly experience, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know if I were to go around this room after this service and ask, do you really want God's joy? I don't think any one of you would say, no, I can let it pass. Forget it. No, not at all. You'd say, yes, absolutely. I want to know God's joy in my heart. So abide in Christ. That's the answer. Abide in Christ. Look with me at what it says in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. I was reading this this week at our Bible study and prayer time on Wednesday night with the group because I'd been thinking about this in relationship to this message. What Peter says to these believers who are suffering persecution the persecution is likely not going to go away. And so what does he say to them? <laughs> you know, I couldn't help but think of the Ukrainian believers who are facing all the trials and the difficulties they face. And I can think of Peter even coming to them through the, this passage and saying these things, these blessings that are theirs. Beginning with verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. 
even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That there, beloved, is the result of abiding life. It is. And so may you know it's joy. So as God's people this morning, I trust that you have been inspired (laughs) by these blessings. Inspired enough to take abiding in Christ very seriously, just as seriously as Jesus mentioned it to his disciples. You know, it was when I was first saved, I heard an evangelist. He came to our church for about three days. And his primary focus was on Hebrews chapter 11, talking about the great heroes of the faith. He's since gone to be with the Lord. His name was John Widenour. And I can remember as a new believer just being sort of mesmerized by those men of the faith, enduring for Christ, being faithful to Him. And I said to myself, that's where I want to be as a believer. And then he stopped his message because I I, I think he sensed from the congregation (laughs) that they were taken in by it all. And he made this very profound statement. He says, what you see here in Hebrews 11 is normal Christianity. What you and I live is abnormal. Oh my. Oh my. What really Jesus shared here in John 15 is normal Christian living. Let's not be abnormal. Because you've been connected to Christ by faith, you can continue in Him. Bearing the fruit of the abiding life and experiencing its blessings through the power of the Spirit of God and His Word in you. You can. I can't stress that more. You can. There's great hope for you. This is not beyond your grasp. (laughs) It's what you're about. As it says in 1 Peter, I should say 2 Peter 1, you have everything necessary for life and godliness. You do. And so turn to Jesus, your source. Trust in His grace and seek fellowship with Him. This is how you will go deeper in your love for Christ and grow for His glory. You will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and the blessing it is to just look at these words, familiar words to all of us, which Jesus shared with his disciples and what he shared with them is for us. Truly, if we are connected to you, O Lord, the vine, we are going to continue in you by faith. Because we have believed in you, we will behave like Christ. We are so thankful this morning for the power of the gospel that has changed us. For the rich love that we have shed abroad our hearts. So that in every way we can please you, abide in you. May this be true of your people throughout this week and in the days, months, and years ahead. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.